the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Anybody can know the Bible if you just study hard enough, but this man is one whose conscience doesn't accuse him. In other words, it's clear. His conscience doesn't accuse him because he's obedient. He is consistent in his life with the convictions. In other words, the thought is he lives out his convictions. Now, this is so very important for us because I know we've all run into people who have held offices in the church and they know nothing of the Bible and they live like they know nothing about the Bible. And you look and you say, how did they ever make a deacon? I don't know. Obviously not because the church followed 1 Timothy 3. But Paul is saying he has spiritual consistency in his life. The Bible isn't a theological textbook for him, but a word from God that applies to his life, to his work, to his home, to his relationships with people. You see, he has to be spiritual to minister to others. He doesn't have to necessarily teach, but he'll be in contact with people in order to comfort them and encourage them and minister to them. He must be spiritual because that's the people God uses. God doesn't use carnal people to encourage. Carnal people are a discouragement. They are not an encouragement. It's time again for Verse by Verse. We have been studying through 1 Timothy chapter 3, learning about God's standards for church leaders. On the last few broadcasts, Pastor Steve has been teaching about the standards for deacons. We have learned that deacons are servants. The title deacon doesn't make someone a servant. Either they are a servant or they are not. Today, however, Pastor Steve is going to challenge our thinking on a certain topic. He was introducing the topic at the end of the previous broadcast. Now, I'm not sure if you were so curious that you weren't able to sleep last night, but today, Pastor Steve is going to tell us from the Bible why there are female deacons. Deacons have to have convictions based upon New Testament doctrine. You don't take somebody and make him a deacon if he doesn't know the Word of God, specifically the New Testament. He is settled in the faith. He has a good grasp of New Testament truths. Doesn't mean that he has to be a scholar. Just means that the central truths of the Christian faith are his. He understands them. He understands the deity of Christ. He can defend that. He understands the Bible is the word of God. He can defend that. He understands about the resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ. He understands that. He understands the return of Christ. But that's not all. Notice verse 9 says, not only does he have to hold, and it means to grasp the mystery of the faith, the New Testament, but he has to do it with a clear conscience. Anybody can know the Bible if you just study hard enough. But this man is one whose conscience doesn't accuse him. In other words, it's clear. His conscience doesn't accuse him because he's obedient. He is consistent in his life with the convictions. In other words, the thought is he lives out his convictions. Now, this is so very important for us because I know we've all run into people who have held offices in the church and they know nothing of the Bible and they live like they know nothing about the Bible. And you look and you say, how did they ever make a deacon? 
I don't know. Obviously not because the church followed 1 Timothy 3. But Paul is saying he has spiritual consistency in his life. The Bible isn't a theological textbook for him, but a word from God that applies to his life, to his work, to his home, to his relationships with people. You see, he has to be spiritual to minister to others. He doesn't have to necessarily teach, but he'll be in contact with people in order to comfort them and encourage them and minister to them. He must be spiritual because that's the people God uses. God doesn't use carnal people to encourage. Carnal people are a discouragement. They are not an encouragement. You see, this man is a model of obedience, and that's the thought. Not perfect, but a consistent model of obedience. So, personal requirements, spiritual requirements. What about maturity requirements? Well, there's no age given, but there is the maturity level that has to be here. Verse 10 says, And let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. They must first pass the test. Now, this does not mean that the deacon is on probation. And this does not mean that he's called into a room and he takes a quiz. And this does not mean that it's a trial run. Let's see how he does. And if he does okay, we'll just continue. No, that's not the thought here. The thought here is that before you put someone in the office of a deacon, you have enough time to observe his life. You watch him. That is to say, you don't take somebody who's been attending the church for three weeks and say, well, we're short of men. Could you do it? I have a friend who was backslidden for eight years. Eight years. He started getting back to the Lord. In fact, he did get back to the Lord. It only takes a moment to repent. He started going to a church, and he was there, I think it was two weeks. They wanted him to teach Sunday school to get involved. This fellow forgot almost everything he knew about the Word of God. He needed to be ministered to. He had been away from the Lord for eight years. Surprising they didn't ask him to be a deacon, but that's often what happens. Now, also, you must observe a person for a while, and what you will find out is where he's at spiritually. You'll find out if he's faithful in every area of his life. Is he concerned for others? Is he willing to sacrifice himself? Does he have a servant's heart? Does he have a good reputation? You're looking at his character, his conduct, and you can't tell that except over a period of time. You have to see how he handles difficulties. You have to see how he handles suffering. You have to see how he handles criticism. You have to see how he handles all different circumstances of life. And in the past, I have personally been guilty of pushing people to be deacons who are not ready. And I've repented of that. I had a dear friend years ago who I encouraged to be a deacon and we just about destroyed this man. Very, very careful about that. Hopefully I've learned my lesson. So after you observe him, what you're seeing is, does he prove himself to be blameless in the areas of his life? That's what verse 10 is saying. And let these also first be tested. Then, if they pass the test, you'll understand they're beyond reproach. If he's blameless, then you can appoint him to the office of a deacon, but he must be observed. It's not a quick thing. Now, how long do you have to do it? I don't know. I don't know how long, and I don't want to go beyond what the Bible says. Just a period of time to the point that you're satisfied that this guy is qualified. And I might add, you don't make a man a deacon to mature him. That's not what you do. You don't say, look, he needs experience in serving the Lord. If we just put him on the board, then he'll get active and he'll get mature. And that's the way that we'll help him. No, you won't help him. You'll hurt him. No, you observe him for a period of time to see if he's already mature and faithful in his life and service for the Lord. And then... You recognize that. No church makes a man a deacon. No church makes a man an elder. We simply recognize what he already is. That's all. Let me illustrate it this way. 
in the first few centuries, they had to decide what was scripture and what was not. What was the canon of scripture and what were pseudonyms and false letters? And there were people saying that Paul wrote this and others saying this was written by an apostle. And the church had a number of tests to recognize whether something was really the canon of scripture. It had to be written either by an apostle or a prophet or someone close to them. It had to be consistent with other New Testament truth and the rest of the word of God. It had to be recognized by the church. They had to be obedient to it at large. The church had to accept it and other tests like that. What were they doing? Were they making the Bible the word of God? No. They were recognizing what was the word of God. We do not make scripture scripture. We simply recognize what is scripture. In the same way, the church simply recognizes that a man is a servant. The church recognizes that a man is a pastor. You don't make him something and automatically he becomes a servant. No. Is he a servant? If he's a servant, it will come through loud and clear and then you just recognize that. Is he an elder? If he is, you'll see him minister. You'll see him shepherd. You'll see him reach out to people. Then you recognize that. So you don't do it the other way around. You don't give him a title and then say, let's make him this kind of a man. No, he is this kind of a man, and then you simply recognize it. How about moral requirement? Let's skip verse 11, because we'll come back to that in a moment, and go to verse 12. This is the moral requirement. Let deacons be husbands of only one wife. Now, once again, we dealt with this back in the early days of our study on elders. This is speaking not of divorce, and it is not speaking of his marital status. This is speaking of moral purity. He's faithful to his wife, to his one and only wife. And I want you to understand, this is speaking just of moral purity. Now, some people want to make an issue of this and say, well, it's divorce, and well, it's his marital status. But I want you to know that there is no virtue in having a wife. It is a wonderful thing, but unsaved men have wives. So that's not the point. Unsaved men are married. Paul is not saying that it's virtuous and it's moral godliness to have a wife. Anybody can be married. A pagan can be married, and most are. The point is this. Is he a one-woman man? That's literally the expression. Is he devoted to the woman who is his wife? It's not that he has only one wife, but that he's totally devoted to the one he has. That's the point here. He has eyes only for her. He is not a flirt. He is not interested in others. He is not fooling around with others. He is committed to that one woman. That's the thought here. So it's moral purity, and that fits in very well with what we know was going on in the Roman Empire in those days. Then, finally, for a deacon are the family requirements. Paul is not as explicit here as he is in dealing with elders, but the principle is the same. And he says, good managers of their children and their own household. He has to manage his children and household well. If he can't serve properly his small household, then he won't properly serve God's larger household. So there's a management thing that he's dealing with, and there's wisdom in that. If he can't serve the few he has, then why do you think he'll be able to effectively serve the many? And we dealt with that in elders, and I don't want to just repeat that. But let's jump back to verse 11. I promised you we would look at this issue of does the Bible teach in verse 11 that these women are deacons' wives, or does it teach that they are deaconesses? Let me read verse 11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Now the problem is this word can be translated wives or women, the plural. It is the word from which we get our term gynecologist, gune. And so the question is, are these women deacons, or are these the wives of deacons? There is no feminine form of deacon. That's why we couldn't be very clear and sure this morning when we looked at Phoebe. It says she's a servant. It doesn't say it in the feminine or masculine. She's a servant. There is no feminine form of diakonos. Well, let me tell you, after studying the issue, 
I think the evidence points to female deacons. Now, I've not believed that for years. For years, Bruce Mills and I have gone back and forth discussing this very issue, and I saying, well, it's the wives of deacons, and Bruce correcting me, no, it's female deacons. But I want you to understand that this week and last week, I read as much on this as I possibly could, had seminary magazines and had commentaries and went into the Greek. And I want you to know, after all was said and done and the smoke cleared and the dust settled, it is my belief that the evidence very clearly points to female deacons. And I want to tell you why. One of the things I try to do in my teaching is not just to tell you what I've arrived at, but to take you through the thinking process so that you'll understand that. We want to be obedient to the scriptures. And I really believe I had an open mind with this. I have nothing to gain or lose from this. Here goes. All right. First of all, remember when we looked at verse 8, and I told you to remember that term likewise, deacons likewise. You see that if you look back at verse 8? Now notice in verse 11, the women must likewise. There is the same Greek expression, likewise. Now if back in verse 8, it introduced a new category. He's speaking about elders throughout the passage. Now he comes to verse 8, he says, likewise the deacons, meaning the male deacons, obviously, because he says that they have to be the husbands of only one wife, okay? Likewise, he is speaking of a new category. Like the elders, now the deacons have to meet the requirements. Now you come to verse 11, and Paul uses that same expression to introduce another category. Likewise, the women. So he's speaking here of a new office. Or in a sense, a new category of office, and I believe it's the female deacons. Because this whole context of the chapter is dealing with officers in the church. Elders or overseers, deacons, and then likewise now another category, which means it is not just wives, it is a new category, a new, in a sense, office, and that is the office of a female deacon. So grammatically, it indicates this. Secondly... There is no pronoun with the word women. If you were to look, as I have in the Greek language, you would see that there is no pronoun. In other words, if Paul had meant the wives of deacons, he would have said their wives or their women. It is not in the Greek language. It doesn't say their. It doesn't even say the. Just women. He only said women. So grammatically, there is no reason that these women are connected with the men. It doesn't say their women. If it said their women, it would be no problem. I would have saved a lot of time this week and last week studying. It just would have said they're women and we would have understood it that they are related to the deacons. But it doesn't say that. I told you before, the passage is dealing with officers in the church, not women in general, and it's not dealing with wives in general. How do we know that? Well, you've studied with me, First Timothy, and when you go back to chapter 2, that passage dealt with women in general. We call that series Women in Worship. That's what dealt with women in the church in general, but not 1 Timothy 3. He's not dealing with wives. He's not dealing with women. He's dealing with officers, and that is the context. We also noted this morning, and this is the fourth reason, that Phoebe may have been a deaconess of the church at Sancria. Now, I personally believe she was, and I'll tell you why. I think the indication there is she's not just serving the Lord, but if you'll notice in Romans 16.1, it says Phoebe is a servant of what? The church at Sancria, not the Lord. We're all servants of the Lord. But she is an official servant of the church, recognized as a servant of the church, not just a servant of the Lord. Maybe that's a weak argument, but it's an argument nonetheless. One of the strongest arguments is found in verse 12. Let deacons be husbands of only one wife, and then he says good managers of their children and their own households. And the household would mean anyone who comes under his jurisdiction. It would be slaves, servants, it would be his wife as well. Not that we're putting her in the same category, but that would be part of the household. And my point is this. The wives of deacons are already covered in verse 12. He's to be a good manager of his wife, of his household. 
Implication being, if he manages well his wife, then she's going to be the kind of godly woman that she ought to be. Usually when the man is a godly man, you see the wife being a godly woman. Not always, but usually that's the case. I've seen men who were going nowhere spiritually, and then they started growing and maturing, and their wife just follows suit. That's the normal pattern. So you figure if he is leading and managing his children and his household, then his wife is going to be godly. But my point is, he's dealing with the wives of deacons already in verse 12. Why would he deal with them in verse 11? Verse 12 says it all. Another reason. Early church history records that deaconesses serve the church. Now, granted, that's not the strongest argument. The early church did a lot of things, and some things were biblical and some things were not biblical. But it is a point to say that the church that was closest to the New Testament church had deaconesses. Where did they come up with this? Did they just make it? No, this is how they understood it. And finally, there is the great necessity for female deacons. I think this is a very strong argument. There's a great necessity for females who would serve people in the church. They would need assistance in baptism. We do that. We have women up there assisting the ladies in baptism. We're certainly not going to send the man in there to assist them. Visitation of women. There are certain things a man cannot do, a man cannot say, a man cannot visit another woman. And that's where a female deacon would come in. Ministering to them, counseling. There are some things that I cannot counsel. I should not have to be put in a position to counsel women on certain issues. Men need to back off and let women do that. Helping those who are recovering from sickness. Even when I visit women in the hospital, I can just tell sometimes women don't even want to see me. You know, they don't have makeup on. So what are you doing here? And they're embarrassed. But a woman coming in, especially after she's had a baby, I don't go to visit women, you know, after they've had children. I mean, they're ready to do whatever they have to do. And they don't want me around. And it's a strange feeling. So I don't do that anymore. But a woman coming there be a wonderful thing. Great encouragement. And so there are tremendous areas that only women can do. Now, these are not preachers. These are not pastors. These are servers. If you understand that deacons are not the official board of leaders in the church, but are servants in the church, then it's not inconsistent with what we taught in 1 Timothy 2, that women are not to be preachers of men and pastors and elders in the church. But they are to be servers. Also, the separation of sexes in the ancient East of the first century in Paul's day would have made this a necessity in the church. Men just didn't go into certain areas, and women did, and so they really needed this, and we do too. Now, some have wondered, in all fairness to those who don't take this position and say that it's the wives of deacons, they've wondered, and they've said, why is verses 8, 9, 10, and 12 given over to male deacons, and only verse 11 is for women deacons? And so they would say, yeah, why would Paul interrupt his section on deacons? Which he really does in a sense. They would say it's all dealing with deacons. And so it's dealing with deacons' wives because it's dealing with deacons because he returns to that very issue. Well, I think that's a weak argument and it can be answered this way. Perhaps they weren't as prominent as men. Very simple as that. Perhaps the female deacons were not as prominent in the church at Ephesus as the male deacons. But I think the greatest argument is that what Paul may be saying is this, and I'll put it in paraphrase form. He may be saying, while I'm giving qualifications for deacons, let me say that women who serve must likewise be, and then he explains verse 11, and then in verse 12 he's saying, oh, oh, by the way, as long as we're talking about women, let deacons be one women men. So it could be that in Paul's mind, it was almost as if he was finishing up on male deacons, went to female deacons, and then sort of as an afterthought said, oh yeah, by the way, since we're talking about female let me tell you that a deacon also has to be a one-woman man. That really answers it. And I think the overwhelming evidence points to female deacons. We need to be obedient to the scriptures, whether we've done it before or not. 
What are the requirements for these female deacons? And by the way, we would just come up with the term deaconess. It's not really in the scripture, but that's just a way of identifying it. So we'll call them deaconesses. Well, in verse 11, we read that they also need to be dignified, dignified the same way as the male deacons. Not malicious gossips, which means they are not to be slanderers. The noun form is interesting. It is used of a name for the devil who slanders and accuses God. In other words, she's not to be a she-devil. That's the thought here. She's not to be like Satan who accuses people and gossips. She's to avoid gossip and speech that slanders. She knows a lot about people's needs. If you go visiting and you're really active as a deacon, you are going to learn. See, being a deacon is not just sitting in a board meeting. It is involvement with people. And if she's like that, she is going to learn a lot about people's problems, things that they may not have even shared with anyone else, and And she needs to be careful that she keeps her mouth closed and doesn't go slandering people and being gossips about that. She needs to be righteous in her speech. She's also to be temperate, which means not an extremist. She's to be balanced, not to run off with every idea that comes down the pike. She's to be balanced and not rash, but temperate, not an extremist. And then finally, Paul says she's to be faithful in all things. She's a woman who's trustworthy in her responsibilities. Just like the male deacon, she's proven herself faithful over a period of time. In her home, with her husband, to Christ, you can count on her. And I think the thought here is that she's obedient. She's faithful. She's trustworthy. She is obedient like the male deacon. She knows the word and she obeys it. And that's what I think is the primary thought here. Now these men and women need to be godly so they can serve well. Ungodly people don't serve well. Godly people serve well. And let's look at the rewards for serving well in the church. This is great. Verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons, and the thought here is anyone who's served well, meaning male or female deacons. I told you there's no masculine or feminine, just deacons, obtain for themselves two things. Number one is a high standing. You know what that means? The word means a step, a degree in rank. It doesn't mean that you salute them and they're lieutenants or captains. You could say the thought here is a pedestal. You know what this means? Those who have served well are on a pedestal, are on a pedestal. A deacon who serves well receives a high standing with God and men. Men put them on a pedestal. They look at them and they say, you have done a good job. You have a good reputation. A deacon who is blameless, does a good job, achieves a good reputation in the church. And that's a wonderful thing. And I think the thought here is that he has a high standing with God as well. In other words, he's laying up treasures in heaven and he'll be rewarded by Christ. But the thought here is that he has a good reputation with people in the church and with God. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you want to have a good reputation with the church? I do. I want to have a good reputation with the church. Those who do a good job get a good reputation for being servants of the Lord. And secondly, they obtain for themselves great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The person who serves well has greater boldness because his conscience is clear. He has assurance of salvation. He has seen the Lord work in his life. And when you see the Lord work in your life, you are ready to serve him more. I think back of how many people have gone through evangelism explosion ministry. And it's so exciting to see these people come and sometimes they don't have assurance of their salvation and they learn that they are saved and they are secure and they learn the gospel and they go out to serve. And you know what happens before long? They get bold and they're bolder and they have great confidence because they have seen God work in their life. They have a clear conscience. They know they're being obedient. They know they are assured of their salvation. And when you have seen God work in the past, you are assured that he will work in the present and in the future. And that gives you greater boldness to speak out for Christ. So service for Christ gives greater boldness to serve him again and again. The more you serve God and the more you see God use you, the greater your confidence grows in the Lord. Maybe that's why some of us don't have great confidence to speak out for the Lord. We've never served him well. Now, these are the requirements for being a deacon and a deaconess in the church. These are the official servants of the church. And along with the elders, they serve as models for all of us. That's why it's so important. That's why, quite frankly, the church at Ephesus was in such a mess, because they didn't have the kind of consistent leadership that they should have had. 
And if these men and women are what they should be, then the church will grow because the church will mature. This last week, a man from Trinity College said, could I interview you for a paper that I'm doing about a healthy church? And I said, well, I'm honored that you would think of Lakeside. And we spent about two hours together. And finally, it came down to the last question. He said, Steve, give me three reasons why you believe Lakeside is healthy. He said, number one, it's because of the teaching of God's word. That's where it all begins, the teaching of God's word. He said, I knew you'd say that. In fact, I had that written down. Number two, I said, it's a spirit of humility. There's no power struggle. When people have an attitude of, I'll serve you, then you have great harmony and peace in the church. I said the third reason is the godliness of leadership at Lakeside. That's indispensable to a healthy church. You know why? Because the congregation will never be higher than the leadership. If the leaders are carnal, then the church is going to be carnal. Whatever the leaders are, they just model it for everybody else. So that's why these messages are so very, very important. You may never hold an official position in the church, but don't look at this passage and say, well, that's for somebody else. No, it's for you, because what God expects of leadership, that's the highest standards, and that's the goal for all of us. So let's take these truths, and let's apply them, and let's put them into practice, because that's what we're here for, to learn the Word so that we might obey it and glorify Him. As we came to the close of today's teaching, Pastor Steve explained to us those things that make for a healthy church. Let me summarize. Clear teaching from the Bible, a spirit of humility. When people have a servant's heart, there will be peace and harmony in the church. Godly leadership, such as we have been learning about in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The people in a church will never be more spiritual than their leaders. And that's a great way to end our series on God's standard for church leadership. Again, if you would like to be able to go back and review any of the previous broadcasts, please go to versebyverseradio.org and sign up for the Verse by Verse podcast. That's versebyverseradio.org. Would you like to know what we're going to study next with Pastor Steve on Verse by Verse? Well, the topic is, actually, you're going to have to tune in to the next Verse by Verse to find out where we're going next. I can tell you this, though, it will be challenging and it will be biblical. See you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.